When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Corp is coming in, gold in a world record. The birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. to world's record. in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello and welcome to another very special edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Sam Edmund here to celebrate the life of a Carlton great who proved just as smooth behind the microphone as he did through the midfield for the Navy Blues. Ian Robertson played 129 VFL games, all but four of them. In a Carlton side, he helped to three premierships. Robbo, welcome to SEN. Uh, good on you, Sam. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, look, it's appropriate that uh, this is sponsored by a funeral director. You get an old 74-year-old. There's no message there, is there? <laughs> hey, the mind is still young. I can tell you it's still sharp. Hey, listen, <laughs> with the boots on, I was doing some research, of course. Now, you're described, Robbo, as an elegant pacey, versatile player who was a brilliant exponent of the running drop kick. Geez, you'd be happy with that bio. Who wrote that? Someone a long time ago when uh, when, when, they, when we were able to kick the drop kick. I oh, know, Billy Barrett. I mean, look, there would have been a terrific number. Southie could kick the drop kick. Uh, you know, he had the, the, centre, the centre square from behind to uh, really put it on display that uh, he could thump the ball a distance. Uh, there were quite, a, as I said, Sid was all right too, but uh, Oh no! I, I, look, the one thing that uh, that you have to be have uh, the ability to do, you know, when you're playing Aussie, when you're playing any sort of football, I guess, is to be able to run. Yeah, it's certainly the case now in the modern game, isn't it? Speaking of current day, where do we find you at the moment, Robbo, and how are you coping in this uh, crazy time as uh, the world tries to navigate COVID nineteen? Uh, doing okay, Sam. Uh, yeah, look, there's a lot of people. I mean, uh, you know, as you get older, you become just. Uh, I, I think if you you've got a, a bit of blood going through your system, you're affected by uh, lots of things that have happened over the last uh, little bit. Uh, you know, the the poor the those poor people that were killed in that car accident the other day, and uh, the people in the bushfires. I mean, we're going okay. We're 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 doing all right, and. Uh, with a bit of luck, uh, you know, things will start to turn and, uh, and we'll be able to um, mix and get going again uh, pretty quickly, I, I would have thought. And the kids in the country, I mean, you do miss out on a lot of things, but by golly, you, you're able to do still do a lot of things because there's plenty of room and, you know, to a certain degree, it's um, not quite as dramatic expense-wise to, you know, 
get kids around and what have you, and um, and they can play a lot of sports. Well, we could do it all in Montaggy, and it costs nothing. I, I used to bicycle from one side of the town to the other, you know, to have a scratch match of cricket or a hit of the tennis racket, or, you know, Dad even taught us a little bit of golf. Robbo, as you, you got better at the craft and you your name came up in lights at various VFL clubs as a potential recruit, there's some conjecture in the time. Did you refuse a request to train from the Bulldogs, given you were in their zone, or did they ignore a letter from your father? As I say, you're in their zone. Can you set the record straight on this? I think Dad was pretty keen and he wrote and uh, he didn't get an answer. And uh, he wrote, I think uh, uh, Carlton had finished the lowest they'd ever finished in the year before Barras took over. And that was up until recent times, of course, but the 10th was the lowest they'd, they'd ever finished, I think. And um, anyway, they were uh, probably struggling a little bit uh, from the point of view of uh, just kicking a score. And um, I kicked 10 goals in half a game one day down at uh, Darlston. And, you know, the, the, I think the lights lit up then and uh, a Melbourne guy came down and watched, and uh, he was a mate of Barassi's from Melbourne, and they used to joke, you know, at, uh, after match functions, they used to joke about how this Melbourne bloke went down and said, no, won't ever, won't ever get get a go in Melbourne. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, history will show you that uh, I got a chance, and uh, I played on Gouldie. Gouldie was... Um, State centre half back the previous year, and I played on Gould in a practice match, and I got a couple of kicks, and uh, they decided to have a go, and and uh, you know history shows you I played uh, the first game against Richmond, which was uh, you know that was the emergence of Richmond as a as a as a bit of a power, you know Tommy Hafey was coaching, and he'd been he was in Shepparton about oh, 12 months or two years before that as a as a as a fledgling coach. And Barash was, uh, he was still playing. He was playing coach of Carlton, but Richmond and Carlton then met quite a few times over the, few, over the next few years, uh, in, particularly in finals. So just going back a sec, Robert, who did you barrack for as a kid growing up? Footscray. You wanted to play for the Dogs, obviously. Oh, I would have. If I'd have got the chance, I would have gone there. Yeah. But and- I, was, I, was, I was outside the town hall when, when they won in uh, 1954. I was eight. And I just, you know, I cried when Fitzroy beat when Fitzroy, who were the fellow cellar dwellers, uh, you know, through through that period. I used to cry, you know. Fitzroy knocked us off. We'd be, you'd be teased at school, and uh, oh, you let Fitzroy beat you. Well, you you can't be going too good. And uh, oh no, we stuck through thick and thin. And you know, I still have a soft spot for the Bulldogs. You know, the the the, the blokes that played there. You you, you remember. Like, I wasn't there long enough at the playing. I was only there for six months, basically. But uh, oh, you remember all the superstars from years gone by. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a good time. I mean, uh, they didn't have the success then. And, and wasn't it fantastic a couple of years ago when they won? I mean, that's, yeah. that was great for people who, who, who followed football for something like 60 years. Robbo, you, you debuted for the Blues in 66, but the Bulldogs were persistent, weren't they? Because in 67, they came knocking again and said that despite you playing at, at Carlton, they asked for their rights to you as a player. I mean, what do you remember of, of that time? Oh, look, it, it's all pretty uh, it's all pretty there, pretty much there. I, uh, I was living with my auntie in Seddon, and um, we were playing cricket in the street, and uh, Donald Brown, who eventually played for Footscray, was amongst the group of young 
what we were 17 and 18, and and I was up the bush at 19. But 17 and 18, we were knocking around the streets playing cricket and footy, and Donald Brown was one of one of the people that played, and his mother was related to Jack Collins. And she, uh, she, when I went to, uh, like, when you when you lived in an area, in a suburban area, I think for a short period of time, you were tied for, uh, I think we were tied for a, a, about 12 months. It might have been a bit longer. So having lived there for, for 17 and 18, I was tied to Footscray. I went up the bush when I was uh, 19 to work and, and played football up the bush for Dalston. But then when I came back at 20, I went living in Seddon again and uh, then he realised, oh, that's that bloke we used to play cricket with in the street when he was 17 and 18 and I was I was still residentially tied because of that. I was still residentially tied to Footscray, but I'd been um, given the chance to have a kick at Carlton and as it turned out, Ken Greenwood, you know, his name would be uh, remembered by a lot of footy people, particularly yeah. Carlton people. He was a really good, solid player. And uh, he wasn't doing any good at Carlton. So he said, well, you know, I wouldn't mind moving on. So Footscray grabbed hold of Kenny Greenwood. He did a good job with them too. Played some pretty good football with Footscray. And Footscray released their hold on me. So, I mean, in 1967, I was on my way to Bendigo. Bendigo was a Carlton, Carlton area. And I was on my way to play football up there. It was, it was that serious that, uh, you know, until Kenny, until Kenny Greenwood came along, I was going to have to live outside the the area uh, for, I think, another 12 months. So I was on my way to play for somebody in Bendigo at that stage. And the incredible irony of it was that years later, of course, and I think in the middle of 74, there was the ability to change clubs mid-season back then. You moved to Footscray to finish your career. Oh, that was, a, you know, on reflection, it was a bad move. Um, I was uh, pretty good buddies with Gordon Casey. He was the uh, uh, state back pocket player. He was Footscray, one of Footscray's really good players. He was he was at Carlton when, uh, well, I, I, I started in 66. I think Case was there in 68. And he was at Footscray and we were knocking around a bit and he said, uh, do you want me to speak to the powers that be? And it was, I think, Dickie Collinson and Jack Collins were involved. And uh, I had just happened to go to a social function that uh, Gordon Casey had uh, set me up to go to. It was a Footscray for Function and they had a bit of a chat that night and uh, look the lead up to it was not was not great. I had a I, I got put out of the caper in the first game of '73 uh, when I was I thought I was probably I was 27 and uh, just just starting to get get on top of things and I'd done I'd, I'd, I hurt my ankle badly and missed the whole of '73 and. Um, there was a, a lot of discussion in that six months of 74. Me, Crane, uh, Quirk, uh, whoever, you know, and, and, and I played a couple of games and then I got dropped and uh, I, I wasn't happy with that. And uh, that led to just a fraction, a, a bit of stupid, young, bullheadedness. And, uh, and, and I finished up with Footscray and six months later I was out of the business. So... Uh, uh, it wasn't a good time. It wasn't a smart time. I mean, you had your time over again. Uh, you know, you know I, I've often thought, uh, you know, I should have stayed at Carlton. And I was offered uh, plenty of opportunities to hang around. Uh, you know, the, there was no doubt that uh, they, they didn't show me the door. I, found, I, I, I went out the door. I walked out the door, which was stupid. You know, you, you're just a little bit... Uh, what, you, you, you're being a journalist. You're pig-headed, aren't you? You're a bit sort of... Um, 
yeah. uh, one single-minded. You know, and and I was, as I say, about twenty or twenty-seven, born in forty-six, so twenty-seven. Might have had the blinkers on. We might come back to that a little bit later, Robbo. That's a, a fascinating juncture yeah. in your career, your your life, as it were. Uh, Speaking yeah, of life, yeah. you're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We've just lifted the lid on the amazing career of Ian Robertson and plenty more still to come. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back. We're chatting with Carlton, great former commentator, Ian Robertson for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Robbo, you play with and under captain coach Ron Barassi at Carlton. I think Ron signed you on your first meeting, didn't he? So how did you two hit it off so quickly? Uh, Yeah, very interesting. I mean, uh, if you're in the country and you you get a letter to say uh, you're invited down to training, you jump at it. It's as simple as that. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. You understand it's got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years, but it was a big deal then. And my father, I was working in a bank in Lock, which is just near Currumburra. Yep. And my father was working in the state mine offices in Montaggie, and he came across it. I'd got my licence at 19, so I waited for about 12 months. wasn't too confident about going to Melbourne. So Dad came over and picked me up and took me to training. I suppose um, it, it, I, I went to training. I must have shown some sort of ability. And then they decided to push on and try and get a clearance. And uh, the word was that uh, George Harris and they were going down to get my clearance in preparation for the game against Richmond on Easter Monday. And the secretary of the Darlston Footy Club rang Dad and said they're on their way. What, what do you think? And I'd already signed, you know, like I didn't realise I was a chance to play football. I, I, I was happy to sign a piece of paper to say, you know, from training, uh, I'm happy to play. And then when they were seeking the clearance, that was the only chance we had to, to get a couple of bucks. And um, the old man said, well, see if you can get a couple of hundred for yourselves and put a couple of hundred in there for the young bloke. So that was the story. They gave me the clearance and I played on the Easter Monday and I think I got... It was either 200 or 250 bucks. Decimal currency had just come in in February of 1966. Yeah, right. A, a lot of money back in the day, I imagine, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Look, it, it pales into insignificance, doesn't it? But um, it was a big deal. I mean, I would have given them 200 bucks to, to be able to pull boots on. You know, that was that was the way it was. You know, kids, there were number one um, recruits. Uh, look, a little story, there was a chap... Look, I, I hope he, he, he's listening to this show. His name was Max Thomas. He was from Terrelgan, and he was the number one recruit for Carlton. And for all this time, I've believed he'd never, ever played a game. He, he hurt his leg in a practice match and went back to Terrelgan. But I've since found out that he played... He did play against Richmond the day I made my debut, and I'm not sure whether he played. I missed the second game against St Kilda, and I'm not sure whether he did. But they were the only two games that he was involved in, and he went back to Tarragon and never played another game. He hurt his leg. You know, he's a bloke that you know. You should be, we should be all wrapping our arms around these guys. It's easy to to pick the superstars out, and they're more, they're more popular to listen to and and speak to and, and get their stories. But golly, there's a million stories in the naked city, and there's a lot of them about young fellas that were probably good enough, but for one reason or another, 
they didn't have the careers that, uh, well, you know, I mean, you know, mine was good. Mine was good compared to some of these boys, and they all tried and... For some reason, they, it just didn't work for them. Yeah, well, when it comes to Carlton, Stephen Oliver is a name that many Blues supporters will bring up um, without notice as well as someone who could have been a star of the game. So you mentioned that debut. It was round one, 1966 against the Tigers, who you said uh, earlier were just emerging at the time. You had the 16 disposals. You kick one goal, three. And your relationship with with uh, Ron Barassi was a good one and he ended up telling you to make the wing your own, didn't he? At every ground, you have that wing and you control that wing. I mean, were there any early versions of his famous give me possessions and I'll shut up, Robbo? <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Jared loves that. He, he Every time that comes on, uh, I'm sure Jared Healy must, uh, he must feel like smashing the television. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no, not really. Um, look, he... he um, he broke his collarbone against South Melbourne. Eric Sarich ran into him and he gave us a, uh, an address at three-quarter time with his arm in a sling. It, look, he was a tremendously determined person. And if you played uh, table tennis in the change rooms, just anything that he tried, anything he had to go at, he'd go out at, at, at training and he'd try and mark the ball. He'd go, specifically go to the end where David Mackay was, I'm sure. David Mackay enjoyed me kicking the drop kicks so that he could take a run at and mark. And Barassi, I'm sure he went there to try and make sure that Mackay was uh, competed against. David Mackay would have just climbed all over the top of him. But Barass loved that, well, you're not supposed to beat me, so I'll go and beat you. That was his attitude. You tell me that I can't do it, and I'll show you that I can. And yeah. from that point of view, you know, I mean, if he if he instilled that into the greater majority of the players on the day, you'd go a long way to winning the game. There's no doubt about it. Because there'd been years of mediocrity at Princess Park, hadn't they, Robbo? But, but Barassi getting there had, had given the club and the supporters and the players cause for probably a lot of optimism, didn't he? Oh, well, uh, you know, with, with that... With that attitude that he had, uh, he, there were a few blokes that went by the wayside in the in the 1966 and 1967, and you know, like Kenny Green, we lost Maurice Sankey. He died in in a car accident in the summer of I think 65 and 66 before I went there. But the blokes that that battled their way through, you know, Johnny James was there winning a Brownlow in, in the period before I went there. Um, Bluey Collis won a Brownlow in 1964, I think. Uh, they, they, don't, don't get me wrong, they are good players, but they, Barras knew that if you were going to... You, you needed to be good enough to make the finals, and if you made the finals, you, there was only one place you needed to be able to play well, and that was the MCG. Yeah. And accordingly, he tried to get uh, uh, the spine... He tried to get the spine right from full back to full forward, but he tried to make sure that the, the, the blokes on the flanks were just a fraction taller than... They used to be. I mean, do you remember? Would, people might not might not remember Bruce McMaster Smith, who played for Carlton. I think he could have ridden the top weight in the in in the welter at Caulfield. He was that he was that tiny, and that was the, the theory of Barras was to get the boys around the flanks a bit taller. Like Philip Pennell, you know, he played half back flank in 1970, and he's about six foot two. So blokes that were a bit a bit on the shorter side 
Barras could see we're, we're, we're not going to be part of his plan for winning premierships on the MCG. You would play in three flags, 125 games at Carlton and three premierships. It's not a bad ratio, but tell us about the first one, 1968 against Essendon, because it broke something of a drought, I think uh, dating back to 1947. And Big Nick was amazing on, on that day. Gary Crane, Brent Croswell, and you had a good influence as well. What are your memories of that day, Robert? There were 117,000 people at the MCG. Yeah, well, the crowds were bigger because they had standing room. You know, they packed them in. You'd get a few bucks from the people and, and just jam them in. 120,000, I think, in 1970 will never, ever be, uh, well, won't even get anywhere near it. Yeah, 1968 was Brent, 18, playing in the centre on Johnny Ellis from Essendon, who was a pretty handy player. Uh, Bleffen having a shot, uh, Jeff Bleffen wearing glasses at full forward, having a shot, and if they'd have kicked the goal, I don't think we would have won. Now, I stand to be corrected, but I've done a bit of homework. The only team ever to kick less goals than the opposition and win the the premiership uh, on that day. There was a team, Essendon, who a game, I think, uh, uh, eight goals, 27 or something against Carlton uh, in a grand final. But we're the only team, I think, in 68 that won, kicking less goals than the opposition. Brian Kekovic having a shot from left half forward and tried a check side and it went the other way. Johnny Williams got it and one kick and Essendon were in attack. Jezza, you know, I mean, Jezza was... Uh, we were lucky we had Jezza. I mean, he was a great player. He, he really was a great player. And then later on, we got Duel to combat Royce Hart. I mean, Royce Hart could... Uh, he, he caused us more problems than it was worth and Dooley came along and, and uh, played against Royce Hart. But going back to 68, it was just... We... Um, we beat Essendon comfortably in the second semi-final. They went back and won the preliminary final. I think they might have beaten Geelong. I'm not sure. Then it became just a, a, a really titanic struggle on an awful day. It was a it was a clear day, you know, no rain, but it was windy and it was a pretty hard day to play football. And um, in the finish, it was us and and the Bombers fell short. But uh, it was a it was a great a great day for Carlton. 21 years uh, before that. 1947, I think it was before they before that uh, that they tasted success, and um, you know you don't have to do much uh, celebrating. Uh, you, it, it, you, you, euphoria is unbelievable. So Carlton seven fourteen fifty six on the day defeated Essendon eight five fifty three September twenty eight nineteen sixty eight. You're listening to this is your sporting life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. We'll get Ian Robertson's recollections of that incredible 1970 grand final on the other side of this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Great to have your company. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Uh, you lost the grand final to the Tigers in 69. There was another 119,000 there that day. Ian, what do you remember of the noise that that sort of people generated? And, and were you the nervous type? I mean, we don't get those crowds or even close to them these days. What was it like playing in front of that mass of humanity? Oh, look, I think you just eventually get used to it. You know, we were taught uh, or, or encouraged by Barras. I mean, he played in uh, about six grand finals, didn't he? I think they might have won about five. And uh, 
they lost in 58 and I think everything else he played in they won. So he knew all about it and Norm Smith must have been a great mentor. He was at Melbourne for ages and in that era, Bluey Adams and uh, oh, you, you, you knock up naming them, Big Bob Johnson and uh, um, Ethel Webb. Uh, look, that, that was an, his, his experience, Barassa's experience must have been um, just incredible for us. You know, all he did was just try and pass on um, little bits and pieces of um, encouragement, information, uh, advice as to how to go about it. And uh, the number one thing was get it and get rid of it and get a touch. You know, get a touch early and and then play it, play the game like uh, as best you can under under as normal circumstances as you can. Don't yeah. the crowd. The crowd affects you, of course it does. You want, you know, like I, I heard about Kyrgios doesn't want to play tennis in front of um, empty stadiums. Well, you know, the crowd does get you going. There's no doubt about that. But uh, look, you're concentrating on many, many things other than listening to, you know, whether. Look, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about playing second year of playing at, at the MCG. I never got a kick, and I went down one end of the ground, and Mike Patterson from Richmond strode out. He was a big lumbering. Merburn, ex Merburn North Ruckman back pocket player for Richmond and he lumbered out in front of me and took a mark and the bloke in the crowd said you'll be in the seconds next week Robertson and uh, Sammy was right I was in the seconds next week and just 1970, Rob, I mean, everyone knows the story. The Pies had beaten you three times that year, twice in the home and away, and then in a second semi-final. They're obviously the raging favourites, and that was before they had you by 44 points at halftime. The Blues completely on the rack. I mean, there couldn't have been a person alive who thought Carlton could win that grand final at halftime. But from your perspective, take us inside the rooms, and did you think you were well and truly cooked? Yes, no doubt. <laughs> Um, but a few things happened, you know, like the first thing that uh, Barras did was, this is to my memory, Bert Thornley had, had played the first half and uh, had struggled a bit. And in those days, uh, the uh, it was 19th and 20th. So if you took a player off the ground, he couldn't come back. And uh, if you took a player off the ground who was fit, uh, it was a bit of a risk. And he, he did that. He, he decided that Bert Thornley would come from the ground and um, Bert's been fantastic over the years, a terrific bloke, and uh, he's been terrific for Carlton, but he would have been so disappointed. And Teddy Hopkins, uh, a lot of people forget that uh, in, in, in the, uh, in the, I think it might have been the second semi, he kicked a couple of goals uh, against Collingwood in that game. And uh, as I say, it was a risk to take Bert off and put Teddy Hopkins on the ground. Um, but, uh, you know, from then, uh, it was Barras made that decision. So our structure was Hopkins on, Thornley off. We're playing with 19 men, uh, uh, and that's the second half set up. And then his discussion in the rooms was uh, uh, I vividly remember he didn't say we were seven goals two in arrears, he said we're four goals a quarter. He broke it down and said uh, we have to beat them by four goals in the third quarter and four goals in the fourth quarter. That's, this is theoretical, right? So all of a sudden, it, it wasn't a 44-point deficit. It was a four-goal deficit. And it was, it was only for 20 minutes or 25 minutes, whatever the third quarter was going to be. But psychologically, that was, he, he broke it down and made it sound from, to, to us 
and I'm sure most of the blokes would agree that it then became a, a it was quite surmountable. And, you know, at 44 points behind, you look at the scoreboard, you say, you walked out with your backside on the ground. So, and and he made that a very important change, and uh, and he also suggested that we try and do handball wherever possible on the ground, which was a bit of a taboo. And in the replay, a lot of people will note that Kevin Hall had the ball in the left back pocket and Serge started to loiter and he loitered just over the man on the mark and Hall, he handballed it over the man on the mark and Serge got it and just kicked it as far as he could. And that was to try and break down the predictability of Hawley kicking it to Tomo, so to speak. So the handball over the top and Serge runs three metres and his kick goes 40 metres and goes... It goes over Tomo's head, and that was that was an important part of the play too. And speaking of relationships, Robbo, who were the premiership teammates, the guys at, at Carlton in particular, obviously that you you stayed maybe particularly close with over the years? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here now in this awful time that we're in, and it gives you a bit of opportunity. I mean, uh, Greg Kennedy uh, didn't play in '72; he was dropped. Um, I'd love to be able to catch up with him. I've spoken to Shane O'Sullivan and uh, he's tried to get some phone numbers through. Uh, I'm not that au fait with uh, the telephone system, but uh, I'd love to catch up with Greg Kennedy. He was a, um, um, a carpet layer and he did a bit of work for me in a house that we bought when I first got married in 1973. And um, Brian Walsh, she's another one who left Carlton, went to Essendon, then finished up coaching. He was a very, very uh, well-known coach of the juniors for a while. He was, I think he was at Bendigo, and I'm not sure. He certainly coached up in the Ovens and Murray League for a while. I'd love to catch up with Walshy. We, we, we were going to have a reunion of 1970, which would have been enormous, yeah. uh, 50 years. And, and that's been put on the back burner, so... Yeah, I'd love to catch up with a lot of blokes, but they're all they're all just similar types for you. They tried to do the best they could, and some of them succeeded. You know, Vinnie Waite's dead, Johnny O'Connell's dead, uh, Lofty's dead. You, you can't do anything with those three, but certainly the blokes that were there in that period. Barry Gill, I've seen Barry Gill once or twice. He lives in Ballarat. Um, seen him. Uh, saw um, Val Perovic. He wasn't a teammate, but he was a great Carlton. Premiership player. I've seen him at, at, a, at a bit of a shindig we had, and uh, oh, you, you do catch up with a, quite a few at the at the different functions. Mackay has been to the south. He's in charge. He, he runs the show. Gary Crane's always uh, he's always quite willing and and able to. I think he loves the time that he had at Carlton, without a doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt we missed that that connection, don't we? That human contact. And sadly, uh, Robbo, there's plenty of time for those Westerns uh, at the moment. Uh, but coming up next, I want to take you, Ian Robertson, back to your life behind the microphone as a renowned commentator. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives more with Ian Robertson, the Carlton great, after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's about 30 metres around from the Carlton goal. The Bombers 
defending desperately. The ball comes clear. Buckley, shot for goal by Buckley. The fans love it. It's there. And he is loving it. You can call me biased if you like, but I no, can't I'm believe that. I'm calling you Ian. And pass away, he does. The player providing that was Hotton. In turn, Hickmott. In turn, two defeaties. In turn, it goes back. It's Hotton again. He's caught. He got his kick away. Importantly, gathered by Lappin. Got past. Still got past. Exciting football. Oh, well Smothered by Chaffee. Bradley Hickmott, Lappin. It's too hot to handle. It's too hot to call. It goes to... Oh! Saving me there, and a very lucky man with a ball in his hands. Oh, yeah, hit the ground. What? He's dropping it. Here it is. Bang, bang, ball on oh, ground. Yeah. Mark Pay. Tried to get it down to Ratton. Ratton in underneath. Can't get the ball clear. Oh, now just kicks smothered by Dean again. Clapay, short one. Dean's on it. Can he kick a goal? Peter Dean. He's dumped after he kicked the football. It may go through. It's marked by Williams. He's going to get the goal anyway. Many of us grew up with that voice, that voice coming into our living rooms on the weekends when the footy was on. Ian, when did the idea of commentating the game that you played for so long start to form in your mind? When I, um, I, I got a job with the ABC, thanks to Graham Dawson, as an around the grounds reporter, Serge, Greg Brown and um, uh, Maury Considine were all around the grounds reporters and they all gave it away at the same time. So Stewie McGee, uh, Kevin Coughlin, I think it was, and myself all got, came on board. And that was the, uh, the start of the media. And um, about, oh, I suppose I'd been there for about five or six years and um, the opportunity came along to have a crack at calling the football. Graham Dawson used to go to Sydney for the Swans games. And he, the chap said, would you like to have a go? I thought, the old man used to say to us, you know, climb the ladder because he said, if you, if you take a step, you've got a chance of getting to the top of it. But he said, if you don't take one step, you'll never. So I thought, well, you know, you can only come back down. So I had a go and um, the, the chap, look, I wish I could remember his name. He was a fantastic bloke at the ABC and uh, he was good for me. Um, I called the footy and he, we got back to the ABC studios and he was like a coach. He was like Johnny Devine coaching Geelong. It's a famous clip of football where he, he's walking around the outside of the huddle and he's geeing on every individual player. And this chap was exactly the same. No phantom call, Robbo. This was just straight into the hot seat for a game. Right no, no, no. Have a, go, have a go and that's it. But Graham Dawson was integral. So was Drew Morford. So was Tim Lane to a lesser degree, but uh, they're all there and they're all and they're all firmly entrenched in their jobs. But everybody who starts needs a little bit of encouragement, needs a little bit of a. You know, Drew took us to the footy and with Bernie and I, and we drank a bottle of red at the president's lunch. That's how good Drew Morford was. He 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 brought you all the way back down to if you wanted to relax, Drew could help you relax, and that was the key. You know, you got a bit toey, and. Um, Brian was um, a bottle of plonk before the game. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, look, I looked at Bernie. Bernie was the same as me. And, and I looked at Bernie and he looked at me and I said, well, what do you reckon? And we said, oh, well, we better help him. He'll be absolutely sheer blissed if, uh, if he drinks the bottle on his own. <laughs> so, uh, so we helped him and it was, it, it was just uh, how much we, like, we might have got into a second bottle, I'm not sure, but uh, we would have had a glass and a half or two glasses each, but it helped us relax and uh, that was a Drew's influence, but Graham Dawson was an enormous influence. Drew rang me, I, was working, I had a little news agency in Box Hill and Drew rang me and said, have you had a phone call? And I said, no, and he said, well, you can expect a call from uh, Channel 7. And uh, Gordon Bennett rang and said, we want you to come in and have a chat. And him and uh, Gary Fenton, uh, Gary Fenton, yep. he was very important in that he was the boss of the football. And I went in and uh, they said, here's what we can offer you. And uh, I said, the money was, um, like I told them how much money was involved at the ABC. And uh, and they said, we can significantly improve on that. And uh Away we went from there. You joined Channel 7, Robbo. Now, how difficult was it? This is the million-dollar question. How difficult was it to stay neutral after a playing career where you obviously played in three flags for one club and a club as big as Carlton? I mean, calling Carlton games, was that ever an issue? Yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, I was never held up for it. I was never held accountable for, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, what was it, the game where Fraser Brown dragged... uh, uh, Dean Wallace down in a preliminary final. I think I was calling that. I'm not. I'm not too absolutely certain. But oh yeah, look. But I think they took it. I think they took it as as, as part of the course. I mean, you know, in the days uh, when when I started, uh, Blighty was good. Blighty came on board, and he was. Um, I don't think you could say that Blighty ever said anything about the positive unnecessarily about North Melbourne or anything about. Um, South Australian, the, the, the Adelaide Crows when they came in. But the, no, it, it, yeah, of course it was hard because it, it wasn't as if I had played football with any of those blokes. A long time from 74 to 88 or 89, the personnel had changed dramatically. But um, you, 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 I think you basically understood what, you know, what, they were, what they were all going through. You had a little bit of empathy for every one of them, all, all the teams, you know, particularly the ones that were struggling, you know, the ones that were... Uh, battling their, uh, their their guts out to, to do any good, you know. I think I had a, a little bit of empathy for them more so than Carlton. I mean, Carlton won flags in '87, and, uh, and and '87 was just before I started. '95 they won a flag, um, but uh, no, I, had, I I think I've got a bit of empathy for all of them. I I, I think the game's a, a difficult game to play, and I I don't think it's any any easier today. They play it quick. They play. I used to simplify it with people. I'd say, look, what's changed about the size of the ground? Not much. What's changed about how many players you can have on the ground each at any one time? Not much. What's changed in the shape of the ball? Not much. Uh, and then I used to give, give in to the fact that we played outdoors and it's, that made it harder again. Now they play indoors and, and the surfaces that they play on are just about pristine. But it's still, the game is difficult. And don't ever think, I said to someone the other day, you want to find out whether they crash into each other? Get down close to the boundary line or try and get inside the boundary line and anyone will tell you that they bash each other just as hard, if not harder, because they travel quicker, don't they? 
No doubt about it. And from a commentary perspective, there was no social media back then, which uh, might not have been a bad thing for your craft, Rob, as it uh, turned out. Hey, the arrival of Friday Night Footy in the early to mid-90s, I mean, that was when footy really did become big business, wasn't it? And it were truly national by then. They must have been exciting times uh, for you to be behind the microphone. I mean, I know Seven lost the rights in, what, 2001, but that little period were the halcyon days for your commentary career, I would have thought. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, Bruce uh, Bruce was the key man, and uh, Friday Night Football, I mean, they had to make a decision, I suppose, and I, I, I got quite a few gigs on the Friday night, and uh, it was usually a fairly big game, so it wasn't too difficult to get excited. Uh, you know, most of the games were, were key games. When you when you delegate the Friday night games to two clubs before the season starts, it's, it's a bit hard to work out how good they're going to be, but um, the games were usually pretty good, and um, it, it was. It was a terrific time to be involved, and you, you like, the guy is under the microscope, you know, like if you make a mistake there, the, the viewers are there, aren't they? There's a lot of viewers tuned into Friday Night Football because it was brand new. It was a it was a uh, a big deal. It was uh, like putting your main course on, wasn't it? Putting a new, a fantastic main course on the on the table for you. Do you have a view on the coverage of modern day footy and maybe who among the current crop of callers that you you're impressed by, Ian? Oh, not really. I think everyone uh, does a pretty good job. I mean. Uh, it's 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 a, it's an easy job, but it's not an easy job. You know, it's an easy job because uh, you, you take to it. I mean, you know, James Brayshaw, and um, uh, to a degree, he was a cricketer. Yet he's picked it up beautifully, hasn't he? He he runs with it. He identifies the player as well. And uh, you know, Luke Darcy's the same. I mean, you know, Luke Darcy played the game. He understands what the the, the duress that they're under. Brian Taylor's the same. The only thing that I that, that I would ever uh, question is, uh, you know, with, and, and and I know you can sound like a silly old creep, but if you haven't played the game, you you, you understand the game without a doubt. You understand the game, but you don't fully understand it. You don't. Like I can always um, recall, uh, you know. You, you, you knew blokes were going to move one way or the other, and I'm sure the blokes have played uh, today that are commentating. You know, this young boy from St Kilda, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, remind me of his name, the young boy uh, who's trying to make a go of it now, uh, Montagna. Uh, Lee Mont- Lee you know, he played, he, he knows. Yeah. yeah, he played and he understands, so give, give him a bit of a go. I mean, he, I'm not quite sure how far he's into it now, a couple of years perhaps, but... Uh, the blokes that played, you've got to have them because they understand. You know, nobody knows where the ball's going to bounce. I reckon Greg Williams was the best at it of all time. He was the only bloke, him and Sid, that knew where that bloody oval ball was going to go. Well, Ian, thanks so much. It's been an enjoyable walk down memory lane. I mean, you've had an amazing journey in footy and you certainly gave so much of yourself to the game that so many of us love. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's all right, Sam. And uh, I, I hope, hope everyone can get back into it uh, you know, I, I think we're talking on, uh, you know, on the on the radio on uh, uh, privately now. But uh, from the point of view of what we're going through, uh, people want the footy back. There's no doubt that people want to do lots and lots of things, but um, they want the footy back. So hopefully, in the next oh, what will it be? It might be a month or two, but uh, we're all looking forward to that. I'm sure. 
Oh, there won't be a person that doesn't concur with that. And thanks for your time too. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We've enjoyed our chat with Ian Robertson. We'll, we'll be catching you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.